Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. All right. Hello, everyone. We are here today with Jessica. So I'll turn it right over to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, But I'm curious, how did you find yourself at Pride's Doors? Yeah, thank you for having me. So finding myself at Pride's Doors was definitely a bit of a journey. Um, I started using, I initially started with drinking when I was about 12. um, And I think I knew I was an alcoholic fairly early on. Uh, I actually blacked out and ended up in the hospital with my first drink um, and then found it a great idea to go back to drinking. So uh, that was a big red flag for me early on. That something was not quite right with my relationship with alcohol. Um, drugs came into the picture a little bit later. I would say probably my late teen years. Um, and. I don't know, I had struggled with, you know, some pretty serious trauma early on in life. Um, and I think, you know, due to some mental health issues that resulted from all of that, I found drugs and alcohol as a way to not ever have to be in my head. Um, being present and trying to connect with people uh, was always a really scary thing for me. And once I found drinking and drugs, uh, all those fears were kind of melted away. Um And so I got to a point where before I went to Pride, I was actually in nursing school. I was almost done with nursing school. Um, And I realized that I could no longer function without drinking or using drugs. Um, And it got to the point where it was starting to worsen my mental health, Um, started to get like paranoid and just have all of these fears. If I wasn't drinking or using, that made it hard for me to leave the house made it hard for me to go to school, made it hard for me to maintain relationships with people, um, to go to work, those kinds of things. Um, And I actually got to a point that I was convinced that ending my life was going to be the only option. Um, So I had had that all planned out prior to going to Pride. um, And I still don't know to this day if it was divine intervention or what, um, that I I didn't end up going through with that. I'm obviously still here. Um, And instead really realized that I needed to take a serious look at my relationship with drugs and alcohol and that probably getting sober was going to be the only way to address all the underlying mental health issues and be able to like be a functional person moving forward. So, um, I had decided that I was going to go to treatment. I took a medical leave from school. I took a short-term leave of absence, which turned into a long-term, actually, I quit my job, but, um, (laughs) um, and I had started looking at treatment centers. Now, Pride was not on my radar initially. I had no idea Pride even existed, Um, and at that point in my life, uh, I was not out to a lot of my family, so I identify as pansexual, um, but had been in the closet for a long, long time, was one of those like overeager allies. <laughs> that was how, you know, most people in my life saw me. Um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, of course I knew that there was a reason I was so impassioned about LGBTQ rights, but nobody else really did. So, um, when I started looking at treatments, I had looked at a few different places um, and I'd actually had an experience prior to looking at Pride. So we'll go back to 2016 it was. I had made an attempt on my life at that point and I went to the hospital. I was um, you know, in an inpatient psychiatric ward and when I got there, one of the questions that they asked me during you know, my admission process was, 
what was my sexuality. And when I told them that I was pansexual, I was met with, and I will never forget being met with, um, well, we don't really know what kind of room to put you in then. Um, And that was such like, such salt in a wound that was open already at that point in time, because I wasn't thinking about sex or relationships. I was there because I wanted to die. And, um, you know, so being almost made to feel as if I was being a burden to them um, by being who I was in that environment made that whole hospitalization 10 times worse. Like I had already felt that a place in my life where, you know, I wasn't fitting in and things weren't going right. And then to go into a place to seek help and be told that my sexuality was going to complicate things um, was just really, really frustrating. And they ended up putting me in a room with the only other queer person on the unit at that time. And it worked out, I mean, for the best, I think, because we were able to commiserate. (laughs) But um, definitely unneeded stress at that point when I was trying to seek help. Um, And so fast forward to 2019 when I was looking to go to treatment, I actually ended up hearing about Pride through a friend who had also been to Pride. Um, And so I got the recommendation and I was like, well, kind of on the fence because I was like, if I go to an LGBTQ treatment center now, this is going to rip off the Band-Aid for my whole family of the fact that not only am I an alcoholic and a drug addict, but I'm also not straight. (laughs) Um, Exactly. All at once. Yep. And then I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, you know, I'm coming to terms with my identity uh, in a lot of other ways. So I might as well just add this to the plate kind of rip it off like a Band-Aid, get it all done at once. Um, And so that was how I ended up choosing Pride. I had looked into a couple other treatment centers um, that had a pretty big, um, like, traditional Christian religious component to them, and I was concerned that I might face, you know, some of the same experience that I did when I had been hospitalized. So, yeah, that was how I kind of uh, came on, came I guess came around to the idea of going to Pride. And, yeah, it was... uh, it ended up being the right choice, so. Good. I wonder if we can backtrack a little bit. Would you mind explaining what pansexual is for some people out there who might not know yet? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to describe it in that I'm attracted to people and not parts. Um, So my attraction to people, whether it be romantic or sexual, does not have anything to do with um, people's gender identity. Um, I am attracted to all kinds of people. A lot of times for me, it ends up being more about you know, compatibility of personality and things like that, um, rather than any kind of sex or gender ties to that. So, um, yeah, I like guys, gals, and non-binary pals. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, and that, I think, you know, with pansexuality for a long, long time, um, I felt... I think, othered by both the straight community and the LGBTQ community. You almost exist in this weird space of, I'm not straight enough to fit in with the straight people, but I'm not gay enough to fit in with, you know, with queer people. And so I think being, going to Pride when I did, meeting other people that identified as pansexual um, and hearing their experiences and being able to recognize that, I may have a little bit of a different place in this community, but I absolutely do have a place in the LGBTQ community. That really, really made a huge difference for me. Um, It made me feel more comfortable being able to, you know, talk about my sexuality and not feel like I'm this weird conundrum that doesn't fit in anywhere. Um, And also, 
you know, it was really heartening for me to hear that other people who, you know, identify as pansexual or, you know, people who are bisexual experience a similar thing, I think, often, um, you know, being able to share experiences with these people and hear that I'm not alone and that this this idea that, you know, I wasn't ever really sure where I fit in and, um, you know, that, that my relationship with my sexuality was complicated um, was, was so comforting, um, you know, that my experience was not just my experience because I'm, you know, a freak or anything like that, but more so something that commonly, um, commonly exists for people, you know, who, who identify that way. And um, it's just been really great to find a community that feels like home. Yeah. Well, we're happy that you're here. Yeah, me too. Um, I think on that note, we, I mean, we're all of the same generation. So I know for me, like pansexual was a new term for me as of like three years ago. Mm -hmm. So I wonder when did you first discover that that was even a thing? That's a great question. Um, I think probably when I was in college, so somewhere between like 2014, 2016, Mm -hmm. um, up until then, I actually didn't have a word for it. I was like, well, I don't really feel like bisexual fits because I am well aware of the fact that there are more than two genders and, you know, have been attracted to people from all kinds of, um, you know, different gender presentations. And so, uh, it was difficult for me, and often I just used queer. And sometimes I still do. Um, and the reason for that is because if, you know, if I'm not interested in a sexual or romantic relationship with somebody, sometimes I'm not interested in the conversation of what does pansexual mean? Um, because a lot of times there's just a lot of questions, and sometimes I don't have the patience for it. So, yeah. you know, I kind of just, like, queer is a blanket term for me. And I know that, you know, for people in previous generations that, you know, that term has maybe a different meaning. Um, so I try to be mindful of, you know, how I use that, but, um, yeah, I think probably between 2014 and 2016, uh, I became aware of what pansexuality was. And and it was like this huge fog lifted. Like I was like, Oh, that's what it is. Like, you know, I didn't feel like I had to fit into this term of bisexual that I didn't feel like necessarily applied to me. And it was something a little bit more specific than queer. So that was definitely a relief. Um, I still didn't immediately come out when I found out what pansexual was, but it allowed me to come to terms with it for myself. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I think there can often be a lot of discourse about all the different language and labels and terms that, you know, are continuously being added to our community. And some people are very thrown off by it or very confused by it. Um, And for me, I'm just I'm just grateful that our understanding of gender and sexuality continues to expand. And so, you know, people like me who have an experience and don't know what to call it get some sort of validation that, um, you know, there is language to describe the experience. So, yeah. That's awesome. And I think it's really cool because I feel like, um, you know, Kaylee and I, we do a lot of like booths and a lot of marketing outreach stuff. And mm-hmm. we actually did a pride event in Rochester, Minnesota. It would have been a while ago now. A couple years, yeah. And we saw like a bunch of little kids running around with pan flags and like all these different things. And they're, I mean, they were like 12, 13 years old. And I just remember thinking like, that is so cool that they even know what that is because this term is something that I just learned about probably four or five years ago. So It's definitely amazing to, um, you know, I, wor- I worked in uh, mental health with uh, adolescents uh, shortly after I got my nursing license. And 
seeing the little LGBTQ, like, you know, the 12, 13 year olds who have such pride and are so, uh, you know, certain of who they are and able to, you know, verbalize and express that um, and have the words for it and have an understanding of, of their identity and also feel like they have the freedom to explore their identity. It's such a beautiful thing. I mean, I can, I just think back to when I was that age and it, and for me, it was such a, a shameful thing. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily this commonplace conversation. There was definitely obviously progress being made, but I don't think we were to the place that we are now where, you know, it's, it's more so widely accepted and, you know, more people have an understanding. Um, it just, it makes my heart so happy that, you know, there are adolescents who don't have to go through what I did, you know, and what many, many people before them had to go through. That's just, it's such an amazing thing. Yeah, it's cool that you just have a place you can call home and connections that you can build because that's, a, you know, all about what recovery is, is building connections and finding your home group. Um, I'm curious, you said that you were looking into some religious organizations mm-hmm. uh, to go to, to treatment with uh, mm-hmm. when you were kind of, you know, discovering that you needed to, to go to a treatment facility. Um, can you talk about your intersection with religion mm-hmm. and being a part of the LGBTQ community? Absolutely. So... When I was a teenager, religion was a very, very difficult thing for me. Um, I come from, well, my mom's side of the family is Irish Catholic, um, and, you know, we have, I grew up attending Mass, and, you know, I actually never went through my first communion or, like, confirmation or anything like that, Um, but I think that... um, that that was because my dad is not a religious person. Um, And so it was kind of almost a point of contention. Um, And I felt very othered by religion. Um, I remember I had a friend when I was in middle school um, that was part of a youth group in church um, that was trying to like convert me to religion. Um, Just for a little bit of background on that. I, I grew up, I wouldn't say super poor, but I would say, you know, in some kind of poverty. I lived I lived in a trailer park for 17 years of my life. Um, and, you know, my parents often struggled to make ends meet. Um, and, you know, I think that was kind of known at school. So I, ha- I had made this friend at school and him and his mom almost like took me on as their like passion project of, you know, we're going to help this, this poor girl from the trailer park get God in her life. And it was a horrible experience Um, because it was like, it was, it was charity guys does friendship. um, And it just felt really, really gross. Um, You know, having experienced sexual trauma at a young age, the, the relationship between religion and, and sexual purity was something that it horrified me. I mean, I was told that, you know, because I wasn't pure, right, I was going to go to hell, whatever that meant. Um, And it was something that absolutely just put me off from religion for a very long time. So I was like a militant atheist for um, some, you know, some time in my life. Um, And actually going to Pride and um, being open to go to church Um, you know, because we had outings where, you know, some Sundays we would go to like MCC, All God's Children in Minneapolis, which happens to be a very open and accepting church. Um, you know, having that exposure and also having the exposure through 12-step programs of the idea that a higher power or power greater than myself could help me in my recovery, um, at first was, I was very, um, 
that idea very much rubbed me the wrong way. And after a while, listening to people talk about their experience in recovery, I started to realize that I didn't have to believe in a traditional God, um, and I still don't, um, and that I could develop a relationship with a higher power that worked for me and that was comfortable for me. Um, And I feel like now I'm at a point where I have that. I often look to like the universe or like nature as my higher power. Um, I also um, look to, you know, people in my life that have passed away, um, you know, that had great impact on me. Like I will, you know, pray or meditate to them sometimes, ask them for guidance. Um, And, you know, so I don't, I don't believe in a traditional God. I still don't. I'm grateful that participation in 12-step programs has not forced me to believe in a traditional God because I think that that can be a big hurdle for people. Um, I know it was for me. And, you know, I'm I'm grateful to have an understanding now that it doesn't have to look like what it looks like for everybody else. Um, you know, I think for me, the big realization was that I'm not God. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, I know, it's shocking. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the idea that I don't need to have control over every little thing in my life um, has allowed me to let go. And that, I think, is probably the thing I'm most grateful for, for, you know, developing that relationship with a higher power. That's incredible. I think your story is so similar to so many people on this communities. Um, and I know that that's a huge obstacle with 12 steps and the AA program. And um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And there are other options, other alternatives to AA that don't have mm-hmm. that religion base because that is a huge, a huge issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm curious, uh, how do you stay sober today? Yeah. So um, a lot of it, honestly, uh, when I left Pride was doing what Pride told me to do. Um, I hated the idea of going to sober living. I was like, because I was, um, you know, I'd mentioned earlier, I was almost done with nursing school before I went to Pride. I had, you know, worked in a hospital as a nursing assistant. And there was this big part of me that when I left Pride, I really wanted to just go back to school, go back to work, and just continue on as if nothing had happened, right? But that's not reality. Something had happened. There was a big change, um, you know, not only in the fact that I was sober, but that I had begun to shine a light on these traumas that had happened earlier in my life, the mental health issues that I had gone living on, you know, living so long with that were unaddressed. And so a big part of it was listening to my counselor. Shout out to Megan. She's the best. Um, (laughs) She's incredible. Um, And Megan put up with a lot from me. So forever grateful, (laughs) forever grateful to her. Um, But listening to the recommendation that maybe jumping back into school and jumping back into work was not the right move. And she was absolutely right. Um, So when I left Pride, I was there from Uh, mid-April 2019 to early June. And when I left, I went to a sober house, which was terrifying for me at first. Um, And I did outpatient through New Way, and I stayed there um, until the end of 2019. Um, And I was in an LGBTQ sober house recommended by Pride that um, ended up being fantastic. That was like I I can't think of a place I would have rather been in my early recovery um, to continue making connections with people, to still feel at home in my community. Um, And, and, you know, I went to a sober house in Minneapolis, which I think 
Minneapolis itself has played a big role in my recovery. Um, I'm initially from, you know, the South suburbs and never really knew that there were places that, you know, were a safe haven for people like me. Um, and I find Minneapolis absolutely to be one of those places. So, um, you know, right over where my sober house is located, there's probably just within, I don't know, five block radius, six other LGBTQ sober houses. Um, you know, so knowing that I was never far from, you know, people who are also in recovery, people who are also part of the LGBTQ community, um, that was so, so helpful. Um, and so I went to sober living. I did outpatient through New Way. I went to therapy, uh, which is huge. It's been huge in my recovery. Um, I started some trauma work at Pride, which is something I had never, ever done before. Um, and it was there that I realized that trauma had been such a big obstacle to just living my life. Um, and so I continued with trauma therapy through a... Um, recommendation. Oh, a referral. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> through a referral that I got through Pride. Um, and, you know, I've been to therapy on a weekly basis since. I see a psychiatrist. I go to meetings. I work a 12-step program with a sponsor. Um, you know, I do my best to stay in connection with people in the program, even if it's just like a text, like, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, connecting with people is so, so important, especially through COVID. I mean, it's been isolation like never before. However, because of the connections that I built at Pride and since, I don't feel like I'm alone. Um, and I think that honestly is the biggest, biggest piece, um, the biggest gift that Pride gave me, the biggest, um, you know, blessing that I continue to carry throughout, throughout my recovery. Um, you know, if my higher power wills it, then I will uh, have two years sober um, next month. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it still feels unreal, but absolutely, um, you know, the, the foundation that I built for my recovery and that pride helped me build for my recovery um, is, is the reason that, that I've been able to maintain it, um, you know, and just listening to people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have, who know a lot more about recovery than I do. Um, it's been it's been quite a journey, but I'm so I experience joy on a regular basis now, and I never did before ever. So that's it's incredible. That's so good to hear. And and based on what you know, you just said in your story, um, it sounds like you really did work the entire gamut of the treatment program. I think a lot of times people go into treatment thinking like it's a 30-day fix and then it's like a band-aid, but it sounds like you did, well, you did residential with us mm -hmm. and then you did outpatient with New Way mm -hmm. and then you're continually seeing a therapist on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and it's working for you. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I was definitely very, I had a big aversion to that when I first went to Pride. Definitely went in with the idea like, all right, 28 days and I'm fixed, I'm cured. <laughs> yep. It did not at all work out that yeah. way, um, but it's allowed for continual growth and that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, it works if you work it and that's what they say. <laughs> um, thanks, Jessica, for joining us here today. It was uh, an honor to hear your story and I'm just amazed by you, everything that you've been through and you know, you've came out on the other side. So I think that's a really beautiful thing. And congratulations on two years. Yay. Thank yeah. you. Not quite yet, almost there, but oh. thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. For more information about our services, please call 952-522-5683 
visit pride-institute.com or follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time. Bye.